reading is taken from Micah, chapter 5, beginning to read at verse 1. It's on page 933 in the Church Bibles. Micah, chapter 5. Marshal your troops now, city of troops, for a siege is laid against us. They will strike Israel's ruler on the cheek with a rod. But you, Bethlehem Ephrathah, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from of old, from ancient times. Therefore Israel will be abandoned until the time when she who is in labor bears a son and the rest of his brothers return to join the Israelites. He will stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God, and they will live securely, for then his greatness will reach to the ends of the earth. And he will be our peace. When the Assyrians invade our land and march through our fortresses, he, we will raise against them seven shepherds, even eight commanders, who will rule the land of Assyria with the sword, the land of Nimrod with drawn sword. He will deliver us from the Assyrians when they invade our land and march across our borders. The remnant of Jacob will be in the midst of many peoples like dew from the Lord, like showers on the grass, which do not wait for anyone or to depend on man. The remnant of Jacob will be among the nations in the midst of many peoples, like a lion amongst the beasts of the forest, like a young lion among flocks of sheep, which mauls and mangles as it goes, and no one can rescue. Your hand will be lifted up in triumph over your enemies, and all your foes will be destroyed. In that day, declares the Lord, I will destroy your horses from among you and demolish your chariots. I will destroy the cities of your land and tear down all your strongholds. I will destroy your witchcraft and you will no longer cast spells. I will destroy your idols and your sacred stones from among you, you will no longer bow down to the work of your hands. I will uproot from among you your Asherah poles when I demolish your cities. I will take vengeance in anger and wrath on the nations that have not obeyed me. This is the word of the Lord.
Thank you, Ingrid. And now Susie will come and speak to us. Let's pray for her. Heavenly Father, thank you for your words to us today. We ask that you would anoint Susie as she speaks and declares who you are and calls us to respond to you. And we ask, Lord, that you would be at work in our hearts to help us to listen and to respond as you call us to. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Martin, can you do the blind for me? Please, thank you. Sorry, I'm just a bit super sensitive to sunlight. <laughs> I don't need distracting any more than you do. <laughs> so first of all, I want to say thank you. Because so many of you have been praying for me and Martin over the last couple of years. But particularly just recently when my mum died. And uh, I want you to know that the funeral that happened about 10 days ago was remarkably wonderful. And there were only 23 of us there, including a tip-top vicar, which was great. And uh, it went very, very well. So thank you for your prayers. What a year last year was. And I've, I've spoken with various people, as you do, over time. And I've understood that a lot of people had an extraordinary year, too. Many difficulties. Many horrible challenges. Many unprecedented events. So in times like that, when I've known your prayers, I am really grateful. Because the challenge through those times is to stand and not give up. And I know that in this congregation, there are many of you like that. You have stood the test of time and the things that have come your way. And I don't know about you, but I am really grateful. Really grateful for every difficult moment. In one way, I could say it was a terrible year. It was dreadful. But when I utter those words, they don't ring true. They don't ring true because we live with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And therefore, we live with the good news of suffering. And that suffering is a legitimate part of living as a Christian. And the choice is always, how are you going to respond how can you choose your response by his grace? And when we pray for one another, it enables us to choose well. We're also free to make many mistakes. And I think I'm probably at the front of the queue with those. But I have known the grace of God through the last year. And you have enabled me to do that. So thank you. Ingrid read perfectly, word by word, just about one of my favorite chapters in the whole of the Bible. And the reason that it's one of my favorite, I brought a little bit of the part of the history of why it's my favorite, which is here. As many of you know, I worked with a Bible school up in Nuneaton with Youth with a Mission. And uh, one of the first books I taught was Micah. And when I started to prepare for it, I thought, what have I let myself in for? 
Well, to cut a very long story short, I have had in my cupboard over the years many teaching notes. And not so long ago, there was a big clearance and a lot of them went in the bin because they become out of date and you need a fresh approach. But I couldn't quite let go of Micah because Micah is a testimony in my life of what God did in me and through me because of that book. And so I'm a bit partial to Micah. And Micah, Micah, as some of you may know, was a contemporary of Isaiah. He was a good man, and he lived out in the province, just about 25 miles southwest of Jerusalem, in a province called, or a place called Morishath. But Micah was a man who lived with his eyes open. His eyes and his ears and his mind were open to seeing and hearing and attempting to understand what God was doing in the nation on the land where he lived. He's a great example for us all. He was probably a shepherd or a farmer, but he watched and he saw the impact of injustice on the people that he lived amongst, most of whom were very poor. And you can read through the book and you'll see his heart for injustice. He hated it. And if you know the book of Micah at all, you're probably familiar with that scripture, Micah 6.8. And so what does the Lord require of you? But to love kindness, do justice, and walk humbly with your God. That really is the heart of Micah. But the chapter we're looking at today, funnily enough, as you probably know, I was supposed to preach on this uh, on the second Sunday of Advent. And you may or may not remember, we had a little small snowfall. About 10 or 12 inches ended up in our back garden. So we weren't able to come up the hill. So here I am today, the day after Epiphany. And funnily, Micah 5 taps in to Epiphany. As you know, it's the scripture that was quoted in the second chapter of Matthew. It was a scripture that Herod sent the priests looking for when the Magi turned up at his palace looking for the newborn king. And so it's Micah that gets quoted at the beginning of Matthew. And it's Micah that verified to the Magi that the new king was to be born in Bethlehem. And that really put the cat among the pigeons in Herod's court. And as you remember, the Magi were warned in a dream after they'd been to Bethlehem and met the child of Jesus, child Jesus. They were warned not to go back to Jerusalem. And so they had to make a long detour to get home. But what's so sweet is that from the second Sunday of Advent to Epiphany, the scripture holds true for me to bring it to you today. And the message of waiting with hope is just as appropriate now as it was before Christmas. Before Christmas, we're waiting for the coming, to celebrate the coming of the newborn king. But you and I, we're not, cel- we're not waiting for the newborn king, are we? We're waiting for his return. And like millions of others down across the last couple of millennia, we are waiting and waiting and waiting. And the challenge when you're waiting so long as a group of people is to not give up hope. And we wait in the broad sense of Jesus' return, and we know that we might not see it, but we don't know if we will see it. 
But we also wait for many things, don't we? We wait for things that are part of our everyday. We wait for people to come home. We wait for an email or a letter through the post. We wait for news of friends. We wait to see what will happen in our chosen career or throughout our retirement. And many of us wait with longing on our hearts for our friends and families to know Jesus for themselves. There's all sorts of things that we wait for. And we also wait with a history very often of disappointment in our lives. And for me, I don't know about you, but one of the strongest things I have to wrestle with is my own thinking. My own thoughts of how I think something may turn out or how I would like something to be. And to be honest, quite often, what I want or would like or am hoping for doesn't actually fit what the Father has in mind. Is that your experience? Or do your hopes and your dreams always match up exactly how God reveals them to you? I don't have that experience. And one of the most challenging things to deal with in our lives is disappointment when what appointment we're waiting for doesn't happen. And that can actually be crippling to our faith. Some years ago, Philip Yancey wrote a book called Disappointment with God. And I can't say that I've read it. I have it on my bookshelf, but I've never managed to get a hold of it. But I've come to appreciate the challenge of disappointment and how crippling it can be because I've met people who are so disappointed with God, they've lost their faith. They're not going to trust him anymore. So how can we keep hold of faith with such a level of disappointment? Well, Micah is a good place to start because Micah was prophesying a good 700 years before Jesus came to be on, with us on the earth. But as you read through the whole book of Micah, you'll realize that he was prophesying to the northern tribes of Israel as well as to the land where he lived in Judah. And the first lot of prophecies that he prophesied to Israel actually came to pass in his lifetime, which gave him credibility as a prophet. And then he was prophesying to Judah, and he prophesied a lot to Judah. So first he's prophesying to Israel and the destruction and a dispersal of the northern tribes of Israel came to pass in about 722 and Micah was still alive. And if you want somebody else to plug him into, you can say he was a contemporary of Isaiah, the big one. But Micah also prophesied to Judah because Judah had very similar problems to Israel. Apostasy, worshipping other gods, not being, not looking after the poor. He had similar, Israel and Judah had many similar problems. So he prophesied about the arrival of the Babylonian Empire in Judea. He prophesied concerning the destruction of Jerusalem and the exile. And those prophecies came to pass, but after his lifetime. But as we've just read, according to my understanding, not because I'm a great scholar, but because I did my homework to the best of my ability 
and you're very free to disagree with me. He also prophesied not just about the destruction of Jerusalem and the exile up into Babylonia, but he prophesied about the nations that would come on the land after that. He prophesied about Persia. He prophesied about the Greeks and the Romans, all in the run-up to chapter 5. And chapter 5, verse 1, as I understand it, is about the siege of Jerusalem in 63 BC. So right, coming right up to the time just before Jesus is going to be born. And then he prophesies about Jesus being born in Bethlehem. And throughout that chapter, he's talking about the establishment of the church. And Jesus being the one, like a shepherd, who would rule and strengthen those who are going to lead the church. And he talks about how the church will be strong enough to withstand all the earthly rulers. That it will stand its ground against all the wiles of the enemy. Whatever ruler comes. Whether they're like the Assyrians or like the Babylonians. And finally, in chapter 5, he brings the judgment. And in my understanding, that's about the final judgment. That when the whole of the church is covered round the whole of the globe and every nation has heard, he will return with judgment on the earth. It's a very extraordinary chapter, and I love it. I love it because I had to work through it. And when you work through scripture, as I'm sure you have found, it becomes a part of you, and you want to take it on board and live it. So, back to that whole thing of waiting. Micah was a man who waited. And he waited and he saw the destruction of Israel and the scattering of those nations of Israel around the globe. But he also knew that Jerusalem's day was going to come, but he didn't see it. He didn't really understand, perhaps, exactly what it would look like, any more than he really understood what the birth of the king would look like in Bethlehem. But he didn't give up hope. Hope is an interesting word. One of the reasons that I've got so disappointed is because often I've said, I'm hoping for this. I'm hoping for that. And that means I'm using the word hope as a verb. And hope as a verb is often about expectation, isn't it? Now, some things we can be confident of. I'm hoping to go home later on and have lunch. I'm confident I probably will have lunch, even if it might not be exactly at lunchtime. I know there's food in the cupboard, and I've got water, and I've got electricity, and I can cook myself some dinner. So that's a reasonable expectation, isn't it? But if I say, I'm really hoping that all the members of my family who don't know God will become a believer, I am hoping, I have that slight expectation that that might happen because I know it might well not. But over the last year, when Martin was critically ill and he could have just gone pop at any moment because of what was going on around the arteries of his heart, I had to dismiss all expectation of what I might hope for in terms of Martin. 
And I had to grasp hold of the noun of hope. What is the noun of hope? Or maybe a better question is, who is hope? Have you ever thought about that? I expect you may have. Who is hope? Hope is God in Christ Jesus. And as you're probably familiar with the scripture in Hebrews, it's Hebrews 6.19. I'm just going to read it. We have this hope. This is the hope that we take hold of when things are difficult. We have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. It enters the inner sanctuary behind the curtain where our forerunner, Jesus, has entered on our behalf. And this last year, when we didn't know what was going to happen to Martin, I had to put aside my own expectations because I've learned not to trust on my own understanding too much, especially in relation to matters relating to my walk with God and relating to those around me. And I hold on to that anchor. As you know, an anchor is a very, very powerful tool hanging out the side of a ship. And very often in a storm, the captain will order the anchors to be lowered. There are very often two of them. And the anchor will go down into the deepest part of the ocean if it's long enough, and it will take a hold and be rooted in the base of the sea. And it will stop the ship from floundering too much in the storm and will help it stay safe. Just another little picture of you that I can give you that's recently struck me. I like the Lord of the Rings movies, and I've just been watching them. And you may or may not know there's some characters in the Lord of the Ring called Ents. And they, they look like trees. And they're basically involved in an act of destruction of great evil. And they have to release a dam. And the dam comes and floods across the land. And the Ents are big and above the flood of the water. But the water is strong enough, it's going to go down a great big deep hole and cause havoc and destruction down that hole. And there's a risk that the Ents are going to get swept along with it. But as you watch the movie, you can see the Ents. They stand. And it's like their roots have this ability to get into the earth, and they are not taken away by the waters into the hole. So you can use either image. One of the things we're called to do as Christians is to stand your ground, especially in the midst of battle. And the other thing is, take hold of that anchor. And when Martin was in crisis, that's what I took hold of. Do you know why? Because that anchor is through the curtain. It's in the Holy of Holies, and that's where I'm going to be going to be in the Holy of Holies no matter what. Okay? So my confidence is totally in God no matter what. 
and all being well, I need deeper roots in the words of God to help me stand when the flood comes and destruction is coming too. None of us know what we are going to face this year. Some of us will have a relatively easy year. Some of us may have a distressing year. We just don't know. But we do know we can be confident in God, in Christ Jesus, who is our living hope, no matter what. So my prayer for you is for grace as you wait to see what happens this year. Grace for what you are really hoping in your innermost being, the deepest desires of your heart. And I also pray that Proverbs 3 verse 5 might be real for you, that you would learn to trust more and more in his understanding and not your own, and hold your hopes and your desires with an open hand. Because his ways and his thoughts are so much greater and higher than ours. Even if we don't like them, they are still for our good. So I'm going to pray a prayer for you and for me that he would help us. He is an ever-present help in times of trouble. He is our hope when all around seems pretty frightful, uncertain, difficult. Let us pray. Lord God Almighty, we so love that you spoke through the prophets and we know that you sent your son as you promised. But as Jesus didn't know, and neither do we, we don't know when you're going to send him back. And we don't know what you're sending us this year and what will happen. So I'm going to ask Lord that you would send us an extra portion of your abundant grace today. That you would bring to our remembrance the fact that Christ is our living hope. And we can take hold of that anchor that is through into the Holy of Holies. We can stand rooting ourselves into your word to help strengthen us to stand with whatever is coming our way. And Lord, I ask that in the standing, in the holding, you would give us joy. That our joy would be in who you are. And that as we have your joy, we would be strong. That we would not lose heart. We would not be too disappointed to the point of losing our faith. But we would continue to wrestle with you. Be strengthened in our wrestling so that we can continue to walk in your ways and shine the light of the truth of the Lord Jesus Christ that lives, who lives in our hearts out into the world. Among our neighbors, among our family and those that we know around the globe. And thank you. You are Emmanuel. You are God with us. Amen.